Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're reading verses 1 to 11. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints." And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. Ian, thanks uh, very much indeed. And Chris, thanks for leading us. Chris has prayed for us. Uh, one thing you might like to do as you keep your Bible open is to uh, dig out the, the handout um, that I've had printed for us. Um, if you like taking notes, then it's an opportunity to take notes, but you might just like to follow along so you can see where we're going in the next few moments. Ed was a uh, successful businessman. He, he still is. Uh, raised on a council estate, given a normal state education, he discovered that he's very good with textiles. So uh, to cut a long story short, he became very wealthy. But he wasn't a very pleasant man to be around. He was ruthless in business and very tight with his money. Uh, Challenge him about it if you dare, and he would argue that those very attributes were the things that brought him such success. But the truth be told, for Ed, it wasn't just in business. He was mean and tight-fisted with his money in every aspect of life. He was described by someone as a Scotsman with all the generosity squeezed out. Uh, Apologies to Scotsman here. Uh, And then something remarkable happened to him. He was going through a tough time in his personal life and he was at a very low ebb. He met a Christian and started to read the Bible where he met Jesus Christ. It was uh, some years after all that that I met with him for the first time. I didn't know his background. Uh, When I met him, I found him to be kind and generous He was always the first to pay for lunch and uh, to buy a round of drinks, and he loved giving people unexpected gifts. Sometimes later, I discovered that he gave a lot of money uh, away to church and to charitable organizations. He didn't tell me that. It was just something I 
discovered. I only um, knew about this great change in him when I met someone who had known him before he became a Christian and then they told me how he'd been completely transformed. That is what grace does for us and to us. It changes us. And there's something wonderfully attractive and good about being around people who are generous and giving because a giving, generous spirit is, is built into the very fabric of the world we live in. The, the creation that we enjoy flows from a God who is himself constantly giving himself. He is self-sacrificial. He is generous. And because the world reflects the character of the God who made it, we find that giving generously is the way the world works best. It's what makes us most content and gives us most joy. When we think about it, we know we know it to be true. Take Christmas as an example. As a lad, what I loved most about Christmas was getting presents. And I was most excited when the biggest present under the tree had my name on it. Now I most like giving presents, finding just the right present, seeing the look on the face of someone I love when they open their presents and say, it's just what I always wanted. Don't get me wrong, I still love getting presents. I will receive them gladly if you give them to me. But I, I love giving them more. And what is true at Christmas is true all year round. So when I give up a day off to help someone move or decorate, while at the end of the day I climb into bed exhausted, I'm far more satisfied and content than when I've used my time selfishly for myself. When I work hard day by day and don't fritter the time away, when I get things done and inconvenience myself for others again, I often get to the end of the day tired, but it's a much more satisfying and enjoyable day than when I'm lazy. All that to say that this world has been designed to work best when we give, when we are other person focused because the world we live in reflects the God who made it and he is a giving and generous God. And the problem is, as we've already thought in our prayers and in our, in, in our songs, we live in a broken world. And we don't just live in a broken world, but we too are broken. And part of our brokenness is that we are selfish and self-seeking. And we think that taking and grabbing and hoarding will make us happy. That is what the world tells us all the time. And so the giving, generous spirit that was a stamp of the marker's hand in creating us has been warped by a tight-fisted, grabbing approach to life. An approach which, frankly, ruins life for other people and ruins our lives too. And so it takes a mighty work of the Spirit of God remoulding and refashioning us from the inside out to make us like our God, to be generous and giving like him. Now the grace of God does that. And that's what we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, if you're still with me, the first point on the handout, the example of giving from grace changed lives, looking at the Macedonians, verses 1 to 5. Now, in a moment, we'll look at those verses in detail. But what we have here in verses 1 to 5 is a whole church family, the Macedonian church, that has been transformed by the grace of God to be financially generous. And we're given this snapshot of this church in Macedonia as an example of how we should live because seeing the Christian life lived out is so helpful for us to know how to live it. In London, I worked with a guy who went out of his way for others. He often, often opened up his home for people who were in real need. And it cost him. I mean, kind of every time he did it, it cost him. But sometimes people took advantage of his very generous spirit. But he didn't hesitate to continue to give what he had, and he never complained about it. 
And as I saw him living that way, suddenly the truth that the Bible had taught me to be generous and hospitable had kind of flesh on it. I saw what it meant to be a giver. That's what we see here in verses 1 to 5 in the Macedonian church. But before we look at them, be sure they are what they are because of the grace of God. Verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, we'll see in these verses a remarkable bunch of Christians. But when we do, verse 1 makes it very clear that they became what they became because of the grace of God. Not because they were a particularly keen bunch of Christians, not because it was in their nature to be generous, but because of a remarkable work of the grace of God changing their lives. And so as we read these verses, to God be the glory. Look what God had done in them, verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Severe trial, extreme poverty, yet rich generosity, that is quite something. It doesn't matter what these trials were, but for Paul to describe them as severe, you can be sure it was significant. Paul knew all about suffering. And here's the striking thing. In really hard times, most of us are tempted to keep our money for ourselves or to spend our money on ourselves. Now, we need some money to pay for a lawyer, to get medical help, whatever it is that we need, or to reward ourselves, to treat ourselves after we've been through such a rough patch. But not the Macedonians. Despite the severe trials they endured, they gave generously. It's all the more impressive when we add to that that they were poor in verse 2. They experienced extreme poverty. They didn't have two pennies to rub together, but the one penny they had, they gave away. And what led them to be like this? You see it there in verse 2. Overwhelming joy. The wonderful grace of God had so grabbed their hearts that they were joyful. They were joyful that our great and generous God had given them so much in the gospel that he had secured forgiveness for them through uh, the giving of his son. The gospel filled them up with joy to the point that it kind of overflowed from them. My brother went to Ethiopia some years back. He met Christians there who had nothing, really. He was profoundly affected by the poverty he saw, but he was also profoundly affected by the joy of the Christians he met. They had nothing, but they were joyful. They were actually very rich in Christ. That's the Macedonian Christians. Out of their joy they gave. And so looking at the Christians in Macedonia, Paul writes, verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Could they afford to give what they gave? Not really, but they gave it anyway. And then they gave more than they could afford. Years back, I remember a friend of mine on a trip to Rwanda telling me that he visited a remote village and he was treated as the honoured guest. It wasn't something he wanted. It was just what they did. They cooked a delicious meal, a chicken stew. As my friend left the village, the person he was with said to him, you know, they won't eat like that again for months, maybe years. He went on to explain that they killed the the only chicken they had to eat that meal. It was an egg-laying chicken providing for the family daily. Economically, they couldn't afford to cook the chicken, but they wanted to give that meal to the honoured guest. That's verse 3. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. 
Paul tells us more, end of verse three, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. The saints in New Testament language is uh, the, the Christians. And so here were the church in Macedonia, themselves suffering trials, very poor, yet pleading with Paul to allow them to give money to help other Christians in other parts of the world, even though they couldn't afford it. You can just imagine them handing the money over to Paul and Paul saying to them, look, it's kind of you to want to contribute to this appeal, but, but you have your own needs. Really, I can't take your money. And as Paul handed the money back to them, the Macedonian Christians insisted, pushing the money back into Paul's hand, saying, no, please, take it, we beg you. That's verse four. And it really surprised Paul. It wasn't what he expected, verse five. But you see it there, verse five, the Macedonian Christians had given themselves to the Lord. This was a response to the grace of God, an outworking of wholehearted devotion to Jesus. They gave themselves to the Lord. The Spirit of God had so changed these people, by his grace they'd become like their God, generous to a fault. And here they are as an example to the church in Corinth and to us today of grace-changed lives. The example of giving from grace-changed lives. Secondly, on the handout, the appeal to excel in the grace of giving, looking this time at the Corinthians, verses six to eight. I once again note that this section is all about grace. Uh, That's the word that features twice. Verse six, so we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. See, the church in Corinth were an impressive bunch. They excelled in loads of ways. Verse seven, they excelled in faith. They were ready to trust the Lord in all sorts of things, in all sorts of remarkable ways. Uh, Verse seven, they excelled in speech. I'm guessing that's talking about the kind of speaking gifts they had. Maybe uh, the preaching was good. Maybe uh, as they met over coffee, they were very good at encouraging people, excelling in in speech. Verse seven, they excelled in knowledge. Who knows, they might well have been a church that kind of knew their stuff, you know, rounded and and rooted in the Bible. And verse seven, they excelled in earnestness. They were sincere. You didn't get the feeling that they were just going through the motions. They really meant it. The point is this, they excelled in so much of their Christian life. Uh, They were an impressive bunch, but no church has ever got it sorted. And Paul wanted them to be a rounded church that sought to be complete and godly in every area of life. And so he wanted them to excel in the grace of giving as well. Now, I don't know what the Apostle Paul would write about us if he was writing about Christ Church Forward. It's always hard to have a a balanced assessment of yourself, but people tell me we're known as a Bible-teaching church and on the whole as a welcoming church. That's a bit dangerous because if you're new here today and we don't welcome you then clearly we've just blown that but um, that's what we're told we are at times and an enthusiastic church I hope we do excel in all those things as you know I, I want above all for us to be known as being a loving church but whatever we do excel in and while we rejoice that God has worked in us we must strive to be complete and rounded in our discipleship So because it's the subject of this part of the letter and today because of our focus on our Buy the Pound initiative, the challenge for us is to be sure that we excel in the grace of giving. 
See, the temptation is to say, oh, look, we're good at, and then list all the things that we excel at as a kind of way of deflecting ourselves away from working on the things we need to work on. So today, the gentle challenge is how are we doing with giving? It'd be terrific if we were known to be a generous church, a church which gave joyfully, flowing from grace. And that is crucial. You see, end of verse 7, it is the grace of giving. We, we won't be the kind of church we ought to be. We won't be generous givers by gritting our teeth and grinning and bearing it as we change our standing order or open our wallets. It's a work of grace. Christian giving should flow from us being captured by the grace of God, transformed by the power of his spirit, wanting to become more and more like the God we follow, the one who is himself, sacrificial, giving himself. That's why Paul writes verse 8. You see, he, he writes out of grace, not law. Paul didn't lay the law down. I love verse 8. I'm not commanding you. He didn't say you have to give 10%. He didn't say you have to increase your giving by a pound a week. None of that here. He didn't give rules about giving because it should flow from grace, overflowing from the joy of knowing Jesus. But while Paul didn't lay down the law, he also didn't ignore the subject of giving. He didn't have a sort of super spiritual approach to the subject. I'll just let the spirit prompt people. Clearly he didn't have that or he wouldn't have written all this. And clearly he wasn't British because he was prepared to talk about giving No, he didn't command them, but he he did tell them that the Macedonian Christians had given so generously, hoping it would prompt them to review their giving. That's verse 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. From time to time, it is good to think about our giving. It's a good question to ask, and that's what we're doing today. The example of giving from grace changed lives. Secondly, the appeal to excel in the grace of giving. Third, over the page on the handout, the giver par excellence, the Lord Jesus, verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. If you remember nothing else this morning, please remember this verse. Terry Virgo writes, the ultimate motivation for every believer is found in the giving of our Lord Jesus. And you see those, verse, those three words in verse nine, Jesus was rich. That statement is remarkable when you think about it. Jesus was rich, speaks of Jesus' personal existence before he was born in Bethlehem. It must do, because he was never rich on earth. He was born in a manger, During his life, he had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus Christ of no fixed abode. These words, he was rich, must speak of his pre-existence in eternity, where he had everything, where he owned everything, because he made everything. In eternity, he was rich, richer than Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg or anyone else who features on Forbes' list of the richest people in the world. He was rich beyond all splendor, as we've just sung. And so do you see how this passage works? Having been given the example of the Macedonians who were poor, yet gave out of their poverty, now we're presented with Jesus who was rich, richer than anyone ever was, and he gave out of his wealth, gave so much that he became poor. And so with those two, whether you're poor or rich, you have an example to follow. All because of grace. Again, that's our word, verse 9. 
Grace freely giving generously to people who don't deserve it. Grace makes the rich give even to the point of making them poor so that the poor will become rich. Jesus did that. I love that about our God. He doesn't just ask us to do things he doesn't do himself. He isn't a distant, aloof God dishing out unreasonable orders to his minions. No, he leads by example. And of course, he became poor in every way. Poor financially on earth. Poor in relationships, rejected by everyone, even his closest friends. Poor in status. He was subject to the cruelest and most degrading death, death on a cross. He was despised and rejected. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. And that helps us to see that while verse 9 is an example to follow, it's so much more than an example. Here we see the means by which we can become rich. By Jesus sacrificially giving himself whatever your bank balance is in Christ, you are incredibly rich. By Jesus becoming poor, he gave us riches that are unparalleled in this life. He won for us on the cross the riches of a relationship with God for eternity where one day we will have everything we ever wanted and more. And you know, knowing that one day we will have everything changes the way we live now, or it should do. Imagine if you were assured of inheriting a hugely successful family business and an estate worth billions. If you knew that was definitely coming your way, it would change the way you live now. Even if you didn't have much now, you wouldn't feel the need to be squirreling your money away, keeping it to yourself for the future. You wouldn't need to live like that because you would know that one day you'd be getting more than you could ever need. Well, look, that's how it is for us. One day we will inherit everything we want from our Heavenly Father and more. So we don't need to be storing stuff up for ourselves now. The Macedonians got that. They were rich in Christ, so they gave, even though in many senses they were very poor. Verse 9, Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. In Christ we're rich beyond our wildest dreams, and so we should give um, that way to others, that others may become spiritually rich. Those who are now spiritually poor We should want to have a living relationship with God. And I would suggest that's the primary thing we should give our money towards. Not the only thing, but the primary thing. Giving money so that others may become spiritually rich. That must be what verse 9 is talking about. I'm so thankful for our own Bobby Walker, who's very clear on this. She's been running a soup kitchen in this city for many years. Through that work, she and others meet the needs of people who have so little, many of them living on the streets, but she knows their greatest need is Jesus. So yes, she gives them soup and sandwiches, but most of all, she wants to give them Jesus because then they would be rich. The example of giving from grace changed lives. The appeal to, uh, to excel in the grace of giving, the, the, the giving, the giver par excellence, the Lord Jesus, and fourth and briefly, the need to carry through the grace of giving. Again, looking at the Corinthians Paul writes, verse 10, and here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. 
Seems the, 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 the Corinthian Christians had very good intentions. A year before Paul wrote this letter, they'd been the first to respond to an appeal to give. And they responded both by actually giving and having a desire to give. They didn't have to have their arms twisted. So they responded brilliantly at first, but then it seems they hadn't fully carried through. And so they needed to be urged to do that. Verse 11. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Verse 11 is one of those brilliant verses. Well, certainly for me, it kind of exposes exactly what I'm like. In my best moments, when I hear the Bible taught, in my best moments, in that moment, I am genuinely wanting and ready to respond positively. And in my best moments, I do respond. But carrying it through months later, still living it, so that I'm still doing what I pledge in my heart to do, that is really tough, and not least of all when it comes to money. So Tim Cudmore on the staff here often talks about a pile of good intentions. So we're, for example, given the buy the pound leaflet, and we think to ourselves, I will pray about my response. That's really all we're asking you to do. Or maybe you think, yes, I can manage to. I already know I can manage to give another pound a week. Or I'll start giving by standing order or whatever it is. Uh, so you, your first impression, yeah, I'll do something. But then the form gets put on a pile of good intentions and doesn't get filled in. Other good intentions get put on top of it and you never really go back to it. Well, verse 11 is a prompt to finish the work. This is an appeal, verse 11, to match your willingness in the moment to bring it to completion, to actually carry it through. And while that's hard to do in every, any aspect of the Christian life, I reckon giving money is one of the hardest things in the world to do. It seems the longer we put it off, this is how it is for me anyway, maybe I'm just particularly sinful, the longer I put it off, the harder it is to part with my money. That's what's happened to the Christians in Corinth. And so Paul says, carry through on your good intentions according to your means. That's the challenge this morning. But you know, as we go from here, I don't really just want you to give more money or fill out a form. Of course I do, I've already asked for that. But in a very real sense, that's not the big thing today. Now what I long for, for us all this morning, myself as well, that we think about grace the remarkable grace of God in Christ, our extravagantly generous God, to think, verse 9, of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who was rich, extraordinarily rich, yet became poor, unbelievably poor, so that we would become rich. Today I long for us all to think on that grace because as we do, grace changes us from the inside out and then everything else flows from that. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you very much that you are a giving God. We thank you that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity have been giving to each other, always looking outwardly, always looking to the other. And we thank you that this creation, this world, our lives are an expression of that. You are a giving God. We thank you that we see it supremely at the cross of the Lord Jesus, the one who gave himself, the one who was so rich in eternity who gave all that up to come and die. 
uh, becoming poor that we might become rich. And we pray that that would so touch our hearts that we would become increasingly generous people, both individually and as a church family. May it be that we are known as generous and may it all eventually be to your praise and glory for the salvation of men and women. In Jesus' name, amen.